Good Reading Podcast is brought to you by Read, the monthly book subscription that pairs a new release book with a pampering gift delivered to your door. There are new books every month and nine genres to choose from. Why not spoil yourself or give the gift of a Read subscription today? Visit luxury.com.au to find out how. Hello and welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Jacqueline Moriarty is the best-selling author of novels for young adults and adults, including Feeling Sorry for Celia, The Year of Secret Assignments, and The Colours of Madeline trilogy. She's been the recipient of numerous awards, including the New South Wales Premier's Literary Award, the Queensland Literary Award, and the Aurealis Award for Fantasy. Today, I'm talking to Jacqueline Moriarty about the latest book in the Kingdoms and Empires series, The Astonishing Chronicles of Oscar from Elsewhere. Jacqueline, welcome to the Good Reading Podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. The first thing we've got to talk about is Oscar from elsewhere. And Oscar is rather cheeky. Can I call him a charming skateboard-wielding smartass? <laughs> yes, you can. That'll be good. That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Oscar. Sure. Oscar is a 12-year-old boy who lives in our world and he is skipping school one day when he goes to, to go to the local skate park to skate. And he is told that there is a way through this skate park to the biggest, best skate park in the world, a kind of magical portal through, which he finds very unlikely, and, but, but finds himself in this other world where this amazing giant skate park turns out not to be an amazing giant skate park at all, but an elven city. The opening uh, scene with him in the headmistress's office, that's where I got the sense that he was rather cheeky, but he also seems to be quite young to be so sceptical about life and teachers. Where does his scepticism come from? Well, I think uh, there's a lot, you don't want to give away too much about him, that emerges about him as the book goes on. So I think he's quite typical of a certain kind of boy. I I have a son who's 15 now, but he was about 12 when I was writing the book. And the character of Oscar was definitely inspired, not just by my son himself, who's a a very good boy now, but was pretty naughty when he was 12, but also by his friends who are so sophisticated in the ways of the world of 12-year-old boys. They're such, they're naughty little boys, but they also know exactly what's going on and they can be very cynical and sharp and I yeah I love them um I love all my I I love all my um son's friends and they have a different way of seeing the world which is we would consider disrespectful well it is disrespectful often but um and that I can see why it would drive teachers absolutely mad but which is also kind of wonderfully irrepressible and and I'm really drawn to it as a way of saying well this is a different way of seeing the world that obviously we don't want them to be rude and there's a lot of issues with boys silencing girls in the class because they are so they I'm not talking about all boys but some boys who are too noisy and take too much attention but I just wanted to think about it in a different way and think why are they being like this and and how can we maybe draw out what's best in that? Because it is good to be questioning the world and seeing it in a different way. 
Absolutely. And the story or these chronicles are told from two different perspectives. Oscar, obviously, that's a word that Oscar uses a lot, obviously, (laughs) and Imogen. And Imogen seems to me to be equally precocious, if I can use that word, but uh, she's evidently a bit more serious about the situation she's facing. Tell me about Imogen. Well, Imogen is uh, the first of three sisters and because she's used to being a big sister to her little sisters, she's used to being responsible. She also is a person who lives in the world that Oscar has entered. So to Oscar, the whole thing is a big game and fantasy because he doesn't really understand what's going on. So she understands that this is a serious, dangerous situation they're in. And Oscar and Imogen are parallel in some ways because they have, they're both children who are still children but who have been asked to be responsible for themselves, to be more grown up than they should be for their age. So Imogen has had to be responsible for her two younger sisters and Oscar is constantly left alone and had to be responsible for himself. So they're completely different people but they have connection. And that's where the story begins, I suppose. It begins with these three sisters, Imogen, Astrid and Esther, who's a rain weaver, and they're summoned to the elven city of Dansori Lohe. I hope I got that right. Might be a syllable missing, but I think that's close. Okay. <laughs> uh, and they're summoned to perform a cure for a spell that the Doom Lantern witches have cast on the elves. What is the spell? What is the cure? And what are the challenges this group of young people are facing in performing this cure? The cure is Esther is a middle sister, Imogen's next sister down. And as a rain weaver, she's the only person in all the kingdoms and empires who can cure shadow magic spells. So in this world, there are shadow mages and there are spellbinders and true mages. And true mages are people like elves and fairies and shadow mages are people like wills and, and radish gnomes. And as the rain weaver, Esther is in high demand to cure people of the kind of effects that shadow spells can have on them. So shadow spells can be reasonably low-key but cruel, such as causing um, a tree to fall on someone and break their leg, or it can be more extreme spells causing someone to find it impossible to stop dancing for years at a time. So that can be very destructive to them. So I can't tell you what the spell is. But anyway, this particular spell, they don't get there in time for Esther to cure it, which means the city is covered in a kind of melting silver substance, which is going to keep coming and accumulating on top of the Elven city until eventually in five days, the entire city is going to be crushed unless these children unlock the spell. And they've got five days in which to find the key to unlocking the spell and the key has been split into different pieces and distributed between nine different people so they have to track down those nine people find the pieces of key and put it together in time to unlock the spell. This is a a vast magical fantasy world you've created and I wondered in the process of creating that world where your reference points are your reference points for invention and for writing. Probably the best way to answer that is to tell you about how this world was created So previously I've written um, a trilogy called the Colours of Motherland trilogy, which was set in the, partly in our world and partly in a place called the Kingdom of Cello. And when I was writing that trilogy, before I started writing, I spent at least a year, probably a few years, 
constructing and developing the world of the Kingdom of Cello. And I started that by drawing maps and and then everywhere I went. So I went on a trip to Alaska. And when I was in Alaska, I was taking notes all the time of different aspects of Alaska to be bring that into the world. And when I went to Outback Australia, I was taking notes about that. And I was constantly walking around, building up the world in my head and drawing pictures and maps and writing notes for at least a year until I had the world clear. So that's how I did the Kingdom of Cello World. But with this book, I decided to take a different approach, which was that, not just this book, sorry, this book is the fourth book set in the world of the kingdoms and empires. So when you say what the reference point is, the reference point is really the other books in a a sense. Even though this is meant to be a standalone story, it is in the same world that has, has been portrayed in three other books. So the first of those books was called The Extremely Inconvenient Adventures of Bronte Metalstone. And I know that my titles are too long, but at least it gives me time to. Whenever I say the title, I think in a way that's good because it gives me a moment to think about what I'm going to say next because I can just ride on that title for a while. Um, the Bronte Metalstone book was the first book in the set in the Kingdoms and Empires. And all that I started with, it, with that book was Cloudberry Tea because a reader had sent me an email saying, I love your books. I'm drinking a cup of cloudberry tea as I read one at the moment. And I wrote back and said, I have never heard of cloudberry tea before, but it sounds like something magical from a children's book. I'm going to put that in a children's book one day. And so I wrote the first chapter of a book about a baby being abandoned in her aunt's apartment block in a pram with a canister of cloudberry tea without knowing what that was about or how it had happened or where anything would go. And I made a decision that instead of creating this fantasy world, I would discover it myself as I went along. So there were no reference points. It it was, you know, that idea of where stories come from and some people say stories are out there in the world, in the landscape, in the ether and you just have to look for them or wait for them or hear them or draw them down. So I wanted to follow that idea. And it became a story about Bronte visiting her 10 aunts who live right throughout the kingdoms and empires, which meant that she was going to go traveling right through that world. And I, when I was writing that book, I thought I'm going to write each chapter in a different cafe in my neighborhood that will be replicating Bronte's own journey. So I'm following Bronte around the kingdoms and empires by going to a different cafe. And each time I get to a cafe, I'm just going to close my eyes and wait until see what I see. One thing that's common through all those books is these beautiful illustrations by Kelly Canby, and they seem to be like almost a perfect match for your writing. How do those illustrations come about? What's the relationship between you and Kelly? I um, love Kelly Canby and I think she's magic and I adore her. She lives in Perth and I'm in Sydney, but I have met her a couple of times and she's as lovely and magical in person as her illustrations suggest. When I first wrote The Kingdoms and Empires, my publishers 
were thinking about an illustrator for the book and they sent me a few samples of various different illustrators and I liked them all. They were all, oh, this is nice, that's good, oh, this is nice, that's good, we'll try maybe this one. And then they sent me a few of Kelly Camby's pictures and I thought that is exactly the kind of illustration that I like. They feel real but they are something loving and humorous and effusive and exuberant about the pictures and they just felt like my characters and it felt like she really understands the world that I want to create. Talking about understanding worlds, um, you appear to be a fully grown adult, but your outward appearance is in no way indicative of what seems to be happening in your brain. You seem to have no trouble making contact with your inner child, I suppose. Uh, And these are wonderfully imaginative books. Uh, So I put it to you that you are yet to grow up and uh, although at the same time, I hope you don't. (laughs) I think um, I, well, that's the kind of thing that um, there's a part of me thinking I should be offended by that, um, but I am really pleased to hear it. My favourite kind of people are the people who still have a kind of childlike sense of wonder, and if we lose that, then we lose something special and and we lose the magic. I was reading um, on Twitter the other day, someone tweeted something about she wrote something like, did you used to get incandescent with rage when you were a child reading a book with an alternate magical world which ended with the main characters having to be cut off from that magical world to signify that they had grown up now? And so she was saying, you know, those books where they say, no, we cannot we cannot go to Narnia anymore. We have to close that cupboard because we're grown-ups now. And when I read that, I thought, that is exactly why I keep writing children's books now, I think, because they did make me incandescent with rage. It was infuriating when they said to be a grown-up meant you cannot explore magical worlds anymore. I think we need to explore magical worlds because they it's, it's a genuine, legitimate part of the world that we live in, and it's a lie to say there isn't magic. So I think it's wrong. The Astonishing Chronicles of Oscar from Elsewhere is the fourth in the Kingdoms and Empire series. I haven't read them all yet, but I wondered if I could work backwards or do I have to start at the beginning of this series and end up with the Astonishing Chronicles of Oscar from Elsewhere? I don't think you have to start in any particular order because I wanted each book to be able to work on its own because I get really annoyed with series where you, where you accidentally read one that's in the middle and you get confused. So you don't have to, that's not the idea, but I think, I think it might be more pleasurable to start with Bronte and then The Whispering Wars and then The Stolen Prince of Palpus. But The Whispering Wars goes back in time before Bronte, so I really confuse people by because it's like a prequel. It's a sequel-prequel, but it helps if you've read Bronte first. So I, I don't necessarily have the answer to that. I think that you can read in any order you want. And if you want to follow what I how I wrote them, then it's Bronte, Whispering Wars, Stolen Prince, and then Oscar. Sounds like good advice. So on that note, Jacqueline Moriarty, thank you for joining me on the Good Reading Podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you. I've been talking to Jacqueline Moriarty about her latest book, The Astonishing Chronicles of Oscar from Elsewhere, the fourth book in the Kingdoms and Empire series. It's published by Alan and Unwin and is available at goodreadingmagazine.com.au. My name's Greg Dobbs, and thanks for listening. This Good Reading Podcast was brought to you by Luxury Read. Why not spoil yourself 
or give the gift of a LuxuryRead subscription today. Visit LuxuryRead.com.au to find out how.